Will 2021 be a repeat of 2020 at the Disney parks and Kevin Feige Star Wars all on this week's episode of Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, where every week we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories and behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much more. I'm your co-host, Al John Goh, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, pop culturist, and you can email me at aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Wow. Al John, what a week to start the new year. I mean, holy moly <laughs> did you ever think in your entire lifetime you would have seen the capital of the united states the capitol building stormed by a mob i i, mean, I don't honestly, even know i don't even know what to say all i know is is that this year has got to clear up we got to put a little bit of the the zit cream remover on it and we need to get healed up <laughs> and, and everybody can, you know, hopefully find some common ground. And, and uh, you know, it's like, it's like that, uh, like that meme you were telling me about earlier. It's like, it, it, we've got to, we've got to be able to, um, we've got to be able to come together and uh, let cooler heads prevail. I completely agree with you. I mean, honestly, uh, it can only get better. And we've been saying that for months, but uh, it hasn't really upticked yet. And I'm hoping it will. But, um, you know, really, our representatives in Washington, D.C. really need to be grounded and they need to represent the people. Um, I think they're very, very out of touch. They are. And, you know, these are the people, it doesn't matter what side of the political fence you're on, but these people have been voted into, and we try not to get too political on this podcast, but we'll just put and it And we're in, not going to, we're not, we're not going, going to. to, but we have to acknowledge an event that happened that is going to live in infamy, right. that, that people are going to look back and say, you know what, the Capitol was only occupied twice in, in, in this country's history. The War of 1812... And the mob scene we saw this past week. Right. And these people have been voted into various places, you know, into their, their office, if you will, um, with all types of promises to people. And all we ask for is for no matter what side of the fence you're on is for people to keep their promises. And when the, the people are frustrated and 50% of the country is one way, 50% of the other. I'd like to think we have more in common on both sides than, than the media allows us to believe because we, we, uh, but having said that uh, they've lost touch, they've lost touch with their, the people that voted them in. And if, if those people were all treated like regular citizens instead of above the law, then they would have a different take 
on how those laws and policies affect everyone, uh, the you know the people that are affected the most, and you know whether it's a veteran or whether it's someone that has not been working because of the pandemic or because of shutdowns or whatever the case is, um, the, these people that have been voted in do not have the same rights and the same types of health care that the rest of us do, and they would feel differently if they were on it. Hey, Al John, I've said all along that uh, the healthcare system in this country would be fixed and, um, you know, really taken uh, up a notch if our representatives were on the same uh, health plans that the American people are, that their constituents are on. Because if they were, they would get to work and fix the problems with it. And we could go on and on. We could do a whole show and talk about it, but that's not what this show is about. Um, it's just, uh, I, I got to tell you, I think, um, you know, my, my, my hope is in a couple of weeks after the inauguration of, of Joe Biden, uh, that we'll see things simmer down and maybe they will get to work. I don't know. Well, but, yep. you know, that said, We've got other things to talk about. You know, uh, I got to tell you, Al John, Roy E. Disney was born on January 10th, 1930. He saved the Walt Disney Company not only once, but twice. And he also saved Disney Animation and he sparked, he really ignited the rebirth of Disney animation, that renaissance period they talk about now, uh, back in, in the late 1980s uh, into the 1990s, where we saw films like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Lion King and Pocahontas and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and, you know, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, and it goes on and on uh, of all the pictures that were done during that period. It's, it's just incredible. So it's always nice to remember him. Uh, I considered him the boss, and I also considered him a friend. I worked with him on a lot of films and projects uh, over several decades, and uh, he is sorely missed by many people. And, uh, you know, the, the Walt Disney Company today would not be what it is if it wasn't for him. That's right. That's right. And uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I just would wonder what it would be like if he, he decided to kind of step aside during that time uh, and, and didn't fight. And what, you know, Disney certainly would be a fractured company because they probably would have sold off the animation side. They would have, uh, probably sold off the parks and resorts and, and the company would be very fractured in a sense. Don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think during that period, you know, we were in the midst of working on uh, the black cauldron, uh, which, uh, you know, still that, that picture uh, I think has a cult following now, uh, but it, it certainly was a low point uh, in the company. Uh, and during that period, um, there was uh, a financier on Wall Street, Saul Steinberg, who was trying to take over the company, and he felt it was more valuable in pieces. And he wanted to sell off Disneyland. He wanted to sell off the film library and other real estate holdings that the company had. And uh, fortunately, uh, Roy, uh, uh, along with his business partner, Stanley Gold, uh, uh, came to the rescue. Uh, along with the Bass Brothers of Texas, who came in as the White Knights, 
um, uh, to help uh, engineer a turnaround of that company. Yeah, it's it's amazing. The, the story is great. And once again, if you haven't uh, checked out the book that you, uh, that you penned, Remembering Roy E. Disney, you can definitely check that out and you can uh, pick it up at... Uh, at Amazon or even the old mill press. Well, you are giving me a shameless plug and I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. But there's also another great book out there um, that is um, uh, called the Disney Wars. And uh, that's by James Stewart. And uh, that also is a really terrific book that chronicles uh, that period. Uh, and, and, and you got to remember, too, uh, Don Hahn did a film called Waking Sleeping Beauty right. uh, documentary. Uh, and that's a, a fabulous account uh, of that whole period of time and um, really as close to the truth as you possibly can get. Uh, recommended. Um, so yeah. def, def, definitely recommended yeah. viewing and, and reading too. Thank you for those links. We appreciate it. Uh, before we get into the headline news, we also have an anniversary of some really uh, interesting pieces of animation that I don't believe are on Disney plus. No, that's true. Uh, I, I have to say uh, this week there were two, short films that were related related to World War II that the Walt Disney Company produced, um, Donald's Decision and All Together. Um, both of them were released this week or delivered, I should say, to the National Film Board of Canada. And uh, both films really were about uh, the Canadian public, encouraging the Canadian public to buy war bonds because uh, you got to remember, Canada is, was part of the uh, the British Empire, and uh, they were already involved in World War uh, II. Uh, be, they were involved in World War II before uh, before the United States. Uh, and uh, I have to say, both Donald's decision and all together, you can find them on YouTube. Uh, they're wonderful little shorts, but it was all about buying war bonds and they're, they're very sort of patriotic for the Canadians. Uh, and they were part of actually four films that the Canadian film board uh, ordered from, from Walt Disney. The other two were the thrifty pig and the seven wise dwarves. And the <laughs> thrifty pigs was actually delivered in November of 1941. And the seven wise dwarves was delivered in December of 1941, actually about five days after Pearl Harbor was bombed and the U.S. entered World War II. Um, those two were delivered in 41, and these were the other two. Uh, and they all played in movie theaters up in Canada. And, and again, it was all about encouraging the Canadian public to purchase war bonds. So a shout out to all my Canadian pals. <laughs> there is a, there, there's actually a big animation contingent uh, up there in Canada, uh, um, uh, both out in Toronto and in Vancouver and, and other parts of Canada. Uh, so there's a bit, big animation industry up there. So shout out to them. Let's check this out. Our fighting men must have your help. They need more tanks, more planes, more guns, more shells. Never was the need more urgent. Invest in war saving certificates today. Oh, man. Yes, you. What would you be worth if the United Nations lost this war? Nothing. We must win. Enlist in our army of regular war savers today. Great stuff. 
I I love the old timey radio voice. <laughs> hey, don't forget, yeah. you need to pick up some Vitalis, you know. Or <laughs> it's it's, ve- it's very urgent, isn't it? It it's is very urgent sounding. I love it, uh, but it's those the you know those were those were great inspirational um, uh, uh, little cartoons that played in the theaters. Now Donald Duck, it's interesting that they would choose Donald Duck because Donald Duck is supposed to be a sailor. And now he's a sailor, but he's in Canada. He's not a U.S. sailor. He's a, he's a Canadian sailor. He's living in well, Canada. Well, I think I think Donald Duck is a citizen of the world. He's a world Don't citizen. you? Yeah, Come I, on, you all, all, all those right. characters. They're citizens of the world. You're absolutely right. They're definitely citizen of the world. Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. All right, Dave. We're circling back here to uh, the events of this past week, and a message was sent out by Disney CEO Bob Chapek, and he said yesterday was a sad and tragic day for our country, unlike one we've uh, we've ever had in our history. What we saw was egregious and excusable assault on America's most reverent institution and our democracy. Thankfully, the democratic process that we hold dear ultimately prevailed. Now more than ever, it is imperative that we come together as one nation, united by our shared values, including decency, kindness, and respect for others. We should seize this opportunity and move ahead with optimism and our hope for a better, brighter future for all of America. Bob Chapek, CEO of Walt Disney Company. I mean, you know, look, uh, I I think most uh, business leaders across the United States were outraged uh, by what happened on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, you know, it was interesting. There, there, there were some people that were there uh, wearing their company T-shirts. One guy had his company badge on. Uh, yeah. And I thought to myself, how crazy is that? You know, what, what, what company would want somebody wearing their logo uh, uh, in a mob that's overrunning the Capitol? Well, yes, yes. I mean, and you see that, you know, you, you see that with these type of things. And I think... Once again, people are just emotionally charged and they're not thinking clearly. And I don't think necessarily that some of these people, much like the other protests that happened earlier in the year, a lot of these people had no intention on becoming violent. But yet, you know, there are those those people in there that are there to cause damage that are not there for good reasons. It's the mob mentality is what it is. I I have to say, though, I thought one of the funniest photos was the guy waving at the camera as he was carrying away Speaker Pelosi's uh, uh, lectern. And I'm thinking to myself, of all the things that you could take from the Capitol, <laughs> what possessed this guy to take a lectern and carry it out? I mean, honestly, what were you going to do with a lectern? Were you going to use that at your protest meetings? I don't understand. It wasn't bolted down. Those are how those things go. You know, once again, you know, it just goes out the window. It, it much like sometimes you know you, you see people at Disney parks when they're on vacation they lose their minds they just go crazy 
<laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is. I, I just thought that, wow, you know, that, that was just something, something else, but, but certainly they're rounding up these uh, folks, thanks to social media and all these people were posting their pictures up on, on social media. And, uh, uh along with the guy with the, uh, fur headdress and horns, oh he, he was, he was a favorite. I, I thought, wow, if you really want to stand out in the crowd, that's how you should dress. Yeah, huh? they're, they're not winning any Miss America pageants anytime soon. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking yeah. of which, oh, boy. you know, because of this year being crazy, you know, uh, it was re- recently written uh, on Forbes. Will 2021 be a repeat of 2020 for the parks, resorts, and the cruise line? And I wanted to kind of get your take on it because 2020 started off really strong up until the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the bottom just kind of uh, fell out. And now that we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence due to the fact that Walt Disney World is able to open up. And I know that there's other, you know, uh, b- dynamics and political things that work over there in California right now. Uh, people not very happy with how the state is being run per se. And I know there's a lot of intrigue and, and stuff going on over there. So it's still very nebulous. But what do you think? I mean, do you think they're going to be able to uh, kind of get back to to a position of normalcy this year? Or is it going to take another year? No, you know something. I think the second half of this year is going to see us getting back to some sort of normalcy. But I don't see Disneyland opening uh, Disneyland here in Anaheim, Anaheim California. Uh, I don't see that opening uh, for another three or four months easily. I, 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 that's just my feeling. But you know, again, it's up to the governor who you know, aside from having a twelve hundred dollar plate dinner at the French Laundry after telling everybody to stay home and, you know, try and, you know, bend the curve of this pandemic. I think he hasn't won any fans for doing what he's done. And certainly I don't think the state really uh, has done that great of a job. I don't think Los Angeles County has done that great of a job. There's mixed signals out here, um, Al John. The communication is just terrible. There, you know, the they they an example it was this past Halloween. They said Halloween's canceled. Don't go out and don't trick or treat because it'll just spread the virus. And then everybody screamed, "You can't cancel Halloween!" And then they said, "Okay, well, I guess we can't cancel it." So we're recommending that you don't go out. Uh, I mean, you know, they they keep capitulating on all these edicts and orders. It's chaos. Uh, it really is. And it's terrible out here. Uh, they are, they're now referring to Los Angeles as a mass casualty event. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and, and that's just awful. It really is. It really is. I, 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 everyone there is in my thoughts for sure, because we have so many friends out there. You're out there, Dave, you know, and we just wish everybody the best, just hunker down and our thoughts are with you. Um, and even though it says here in the Forbes article, even though Disneyland and Disney Cruise Line have not opened up since March 2020, there are some bright spots to look forward to in 2021 um, when Walt Disney World will open a handful of new attractions, including Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, Guardians of the Galaxy's Cosmic Rewind, the new Galactic Edge, uh, Galaxy's Edge Star Cruiser Hotel, which is high dollar, 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 high dollar. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, then, um, and then hopefully... They'll be be able to hopefully by mid year, uh, the Avengers Campus will open up at DCA, and 
we hope that's the case. Um, I know they started to promote the Disney Wish will be setting sail for the Disney Cruise Line in 2022, so they're already having their sights set perhaps on not opening any cruises until um, 2022 when things kind of normalize, hopefully with more of the uh, dissemination of the vaccine. Yeah, and and that's really what's what's got to happen here. They they've had a slow rollout of this vaccine. They've got to accelerate it. They've got to get it out to you know the Walgreens, the Rite Aids, the the supermarket pharmacies. You know they've got to get it out to the doctors' offices and professionals out there, the medical professionals who can administer it quickly. You know, and that that's really what has to happen. And and hopefully, you know, by the end of January, uh, they're they're going to straighten this this uh, you know thing out the the slow rollout and and start accelerating it because if they can get that you know if they can get the majority of the population vaccinated by the end of March beginning of April, I I think you start to see things opening up and I I do. Really, I, I'm an optimist, but I believe that the Disneyland Resort here in California will be open for the summer. That, that I'm optimistic about that, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I am with you on that. And I can, we can only hope and cross our fingers that we resume a state of normalcy sooner than later. Yeah. And speaking, yeah. speaking of normalcy, it seems to me that everybody is launching a brand new streaming service. Is it me, Dave? It's like... Everybody's changing to AMC Plus. You didn't mention the fact that we are, you know, Skull Rock Plus, uh, Podcast I know. Plus. I, I, you know, I really should have uh, because there's a yeah. Discovery Plus now. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, everybody's, everybody and their brother is jumping on the bandwagon. So this next story is really kind of interesting. Yeah, Disney and Discovery execs launch a class pass streaming firm backed by Michael Eisner. Whoa, Michael Eisner's back in the headlines, Dave. Yeah, I know. But you know something? This seemed natural to me because what this what this uh, class pass is, it, it, it's, a, it's a service that's going to uh, allow you to search across all of these different streaming services. It, you know what this reminds me of? This is... This is how cable channels were bundled when people were getting cable. That's right. right. So this sounds to me like it's a bundling of all the streaming services. And, you know, you can then go in and watch a show here and watch a show there. I'm not exactly sure how that whole thing's going to work. Uh, they, they, they're just making the announcement about it. There doesn't seem to be any fee structure uh, attached to this. Yeah, it says uh, Strum, I believe that's a service, right? Did I pronounce that right? Strum yeah, it's a Strum. Has yeah. received a multi-million dollar investment from Eisner's Torrent Company, uh, it, or Tornate Company, if I can say that properly. Tornate Company, ahead of the service's planned rollout in the spring. And Strum is being designed to help viewers discover programming from an array of an estimated 250-niche uh, video streaming demand services. And it's already struck a deal with more than 30 existing services, providing more than 20,000 TV series, movies, and shorts to viewers. So... Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. You know, is is this the kind of thing where, you know, if you get this service, you can watch, you know, five or six shows on each one of the services before you trigger a, you know, you have to subscribe? I don't know. You know, yeah. maybe it's one of those it allows you to sort of dip your toe into the pool and check out a channel without actually having to subscribe to it. Yeah, I think uh people like subscription services because it's super easy. And very wallet draining if you're not careful. 
And, you know, we had to, we tried a great trial of the Food Network, um, Food Network app. And it's an mm-hmm. amazing app, great programming. And I love Food Network. My wife is a great cook and she loves to do it too. But you have to be careful. Otherwise, it's going to roll over. When it rolls over after your trial, boy, they're going to hit you in the belly. <laughs> so you well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, like Food Network, they, they've got a lot of great programming. They have a huge library of stuff. By the way, you, did you know that I was a judge on a Food Network show? No, I had no idea. Which one? Yeah, it was... Um, uh, what, what the heck was the? Was I, I can't remember the title of the show. It was like, uh, it was like, uh, uh cake. Uh, it was Cake Wars or something oh, like that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. They were doing. Uh, were you doing? The- and, and they were doing uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Okay. Oh yes, I remember that because I was. That, I don't was, know how many years ago that was. It was many years ago. It was like a cake challenge. They, they had it to make was, uh, inspired cakes uh, for Beauty and the Beast, and they had to transfer it to the table, and they do all the judging, right? And it was you. Yeah, it was. It was kind of interesting. I, I was sort of a, a a guest judge for that particular uh, episode. I'm so lucky. That and I can't um, it, it, it was filmed. Uh, it was filmed outside of Denver. Uh, in like wow. a warehouse, it was like uh, like the warehouse was the uh, um, uh, the soundstage, if you will, ah. uh, where, where they had where they had it all uh, uh, set up. And uh, I'm trying to remember, it was uh, the Disney Beauty and the ba- Be- uh, <laughs> Disney Disney Beauty and the Beast cakes. Okay. Uh, and it, it was filmed in 2010. So wow. it's like 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. I can't oh, wait to check that out. It was out. a Food Network Challenge show. I can't wait to check that out. The, there, there are two <laughs> things. And that, that experience of reality TV, much better than mine, I was, I actually auditioned to be in MTV's Real World Season 2. Nice. And got a call back. And they actually wanted to cast me into um, uh, episode of MTV's Fanatic. Uh, with Sandra Bullock, I would be a huge Sandra Bullock fan, which I am a huge Sandra Bullock fan. And, hey, she's um, fantastic. She, she great is, actress. She's really great actress. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm a married man now, but she definitely is number two on my list now. But I have to say, <laughs> I, my wife knows this. And so, I, right, but yeah, I did. But somebody's I did, getting a restraining order. Yeah, no, you now. No. I'm not, I'm not stalkerish. <laughs> I'm not stalkerish. But I did, I did politely, politely turn them down. But a little, little known fact, Dave, my wife, Kristen, was actually, um, actually auditioned for season two of MasterChef and she made it all the way there and, um, and was actually called back. She made it all the way to, to, to next to uh, uh, final casting. But uh, she, she was deemed that uh, she was too, too Southern, which is funny because she's from Ohio. Wow. But uh, they wanted to have is her she back from for season s- three. Southern Ohio. No, no, she's from <laughs> Northern Ohio, but I think, I think, she may have had too many similarities to the woman who won season one. Oh, okay. So, so they, so they really they, want to have contrast. Yeah. They want to have different contrast. personalities. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and so sure. they, they wanted to call her back for, for next season, but she declined that. Um, but it, interesting, interesting about that. I'm going to have to look that up, Dave. Well, you know, and, and by the way, the funny thing that I learned about that, they, they used to have uh, a studio audience, like they'd have a little bleacher area where they would let some people in. But what was happening was uh, uh, some of the guests were taking pictures of the photo uh, of the uh, taking photos of the uh, cakes and it was getting out onto social media before the episode aired. Oh. 
so they stopped having any kind of uh, studio audience to watch it. And at the end of the programming, the cakes were all uh, heaved into a uh, dumpster. That's uh, a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. It's terrible. It is a shame. Well, but it was fun. I, I had a good time. Uh, I have to say the the folks <laughs> that do those shows were super nice. And uh, the other sort of regular judges that were uh, on that show were, were fabulous. Really nice people. So great you, experience. So the question is, did you ever have a piece of the cake? That, that I did not. Oh. I didn't. I didn't taste any of the cakes. Oh, that's a shame. It, it was all. It was all about talking. It, it was all about looking at them uh, for their aesthetics and uh, design, and whether the characters were on model, and you know those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, I get it, but man, those ta- those cakes always look so delectable. I honestly, I I think I'd go into diabetic shock. There's so much sugar in those things. I bet. You know? Well, speaking of cakes and delectable eats, uh, one of our favorite events there at Epcot, maybe Dave yours as well, is uh, the International Festival of the Arts. And I know this one hits home for you because of all the great artistry that is on display at the Walt Disney World Resort. That's going on right now through February 22nd. So there's time for you if you happen to be there in the uh, Walt Disney World Orlando area to check out. They always have amazing food. I love how they partnered food with all of the great arts that are happening there. Do you have any, um, have you visited during this time? Yeah, the, uh, you know, I, I went down there a number of times uh, over the years uh, to actually sign books and, uh, you know, do presentations and things like that during, you know, because there's so much stuff going on at Epcot during that during that uh, event. Uh, you know, there there's musical performers, there there's uh, art performances, um uh, there's, uh, just all, all kinds of things, uh, you know, booths with, uh, great artwork. There's, uh, artists visiting and signing pieces and doing all kinds of stuff. So I've always had a great time going down there for it. I really, really have enjoyed it. I, I think I've been there probably like three times or four times over nice. the years. Nice. Well, that's great. And, and I do, I, I mean, not only is the food amazing, but I love the presentations. And in fact, some of the ones you can check out this year are the voices of Liberty who, whom I absolutely love uh, take American gardens theater over with brand new showcases from the Disney songbook. In fact, uh, they're doing Disney tunes from classical uh, composers and uh, or classic Disney composers, I should say. And they're also doing a really cool uh, performance or performance art I guess they're having artists kind of showcase their work and doing uh, live uh, demonstrations of their art um, throughout the entire pavilion, which is great, or I guess the entire uh, Epcot area, which is really nice there. Which they do, you know, I mean, that's sort of the the standard thing. And, and, you know, fans get to meet artists uh, uh, that, you know, maybe they collect their their work or uh, admire their work. Uh, But it's a chance for people to to actually interact and chat with uh, the artists. And, And there's a lot of really terrific, terrific artists that that go down to that event every year. Yes, and uh, I do love that, and I love the fact that uh, they also have these little uh, Easter eggs and different scavenger hunts for people and families to enjoy with all the art that's kind of hidden, uh, Disney characters kind of hidden across the park, so you can uh, get your passport stamped and do all kinds of really cool things over there. But uh, I love the stuff, and I also love the fact that they have Figment once again, uh, all the great Figment merchandise. I love Figment. He's a great character. 
Absolutely terrific. It, so, it's, uh, yeah. it really is a great event. I was actually kind of glad they started doing it at DCA in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, but but it's not to the magnitude that you see down at uh, uh, Walt Disney World, you know, at Epcot. Yeah, it's a really big event. Uh, speaking of big events, Disney Plus is getting ready for their new big event. Uh, you know, I saw the trailer for this yesterday, Al oh, yeah. John, what did you and think? It, it's, it, I thought it was fantastic. All right. Absolutely fantastic. I love this. WandaVision is actually going to receive two episodes as it premieres on Disney Plus this week. I can't believe it's already here. And uh, the series has been hyped up. Entertainment Magazine's been doing it. As you were talking about, the trailers are all over the place. And in this show, you're going to see Wanda Maximoff, one of the Avengers, uh, kind of go into a little bit of a breakdown. And she, uh, reality starts distorting. Some of her superpowers start growing and building to where she's bringing back the love of her life, the Vision, played by Paul Bettany, um, who was uh, who was thought to have been destroyed there in Avengers, um, uh, not Endgame, but uh, uh, what was that? Um, and now I'm losing my my Marvel cred, but the the film before that, <laughs> but uh, but at any rate, um, I'll, I'll buy that. The, yeah, the, the film, film before, before that. Yeah, yeah, the, the first parter, the first part of the two parter. <laughs> but uh, they go through all of these different era sitcoms. They go through the whole uh, Father Knows Best to Bewitched era back in the golden age of of, of television. They move through the '60s and '70s through the whole Brady Bunch era of sitcoms, and then into the 90s with a little bit of this uh, 80s and 90s and home improvement. And then they move into the aughts with like modern family. It seems they're, they're traveling through all the sitcoms. And once again, it's the brilliant thing that Kevin Feige's doing with this and all the tra- uh, creative talents behind this series of taking a genre, twisting it, putting it on its head and reintroducing it to serve a story that is woven throughout the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe with all these great, rich characters. And I, I, I think it's endearing. I can't wait to see it. And, you know, you were talking about going through all these different decades of sitcoms and whatnot. They, they actually start out in black and white, right? It yeah. goes from black and white into color. Yeah. And you have that transition to color television. Yeah, I think that's why they wanted to maybe bundle two episodes back to back so that people wouldn't get the wrong idea that the whole series is going to be in black and white. You know, it's only, you know, a certain portion of it will be in black and white and not only black and white, but in four, three as well. So they're going to they're going to squish it and put it into the the, the old style TV. Uh, well, it's going to be it's going to be a square format yeah. like the old televisions and and so I'm imagining you'll just have black bars on either side if you've got a a big flat panel television on your wall. Um uh you know uh, and, and by the way the funniest thing I have to tell you uh, uh related to that is that when Disney started releasing uh their uh, classic animated films, those are in a square format, uh, 4-3 format. Uh, and most televisions now, the, the flat panel televisions are rectangular, which is a 16 by 9 aspect ratio. And so when you put a 4 by 3 image, you're floating that image uh, in the center uh, of the uh, 16 by 9. And so you have these black bars. Well, people started complaining to the company that there was something wrong with their DVD because they didn't have picture all the way across. 
at not realizing the different aspect ratios. And so Disney um, uh, came up with a, an idea. The guy, the, the folks over at, the, uh, at Home Entertainment decided to do something called Disney View which was an option on those DVDs. And you, instead of having black bars on either side of the picture, you could have artwork like a proscenium from a theater. I love it. On either side. I love uh, it. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand that with the old movies that they were made in a four by three aspect ratio. So it was a more square picture. It always, it was always interesting, I think, for me growing up, Dave, because of watching movies and i always looked at the screen and said you know it doesn't look the same on my tv you know when i was young and then mm-hmm. when you realize that the abc movie of the week was what we call or what was called panis was it panascan is that, is that no uh they 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 used to do pan and scan pan and scan okay yeah because because when they took a movie that was made for the theaters the, you know the movies in the theaters are a large rectangular screen so it's a 16 by 9 aspect ratio but when you went to take a film like that like say lawrence of arabia right you know and put it on to tv back in those days you would have to pan and scan meaning that they would be reformatting it so that you could actually watch it on a television right it was it was a little jarring because you'd see you know things like the 10 commandments on abc or you'd see something meant for a big screen and then you'd see a really wide shot of let's say whomever it was you know and and it would go from one piece of per you know it go from a, a standard wide shot but then you'd see one person talking and the camera would follow them and then the response yeah. would be moving back and forth and i was like this is kind of weird. <laughs> I never understood yeah, yeah. it, but then it's I different. Later. It was different yeah. from what you saw in the theater. Yeah. Speaking of Lawrence of Arabia, by the way, I watched that last week on TMC. Oh yeah, how was that? Uh, I, I, you know, I just love that movie. Yeah, uh, but you know, again, that's a film. I, you know, I've seen it so many times. I didn't mind watching it uh, on TMC, but. Nothing beats seeing that film on uh, a huge screen. And I I had seen a restored version of it on the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood many years ago. And, you know, with that sound system. And and to me, I think it's probably one of the best uh, movie scores uh, uh, that's been done. Uh, The theme, uh, you know, the score for uh, Lawrence of Arabia. It's a fabulous movie. Really enjoyable. Really enjoyed watching it again. I haven't seen that film since my grandmother was alive. It was one of my favorite, her favorite movies. And um, I remember getting it for her on VHS or something to that nature. And uh, she loved it. Absolutely loved it. But what a great film that was. But, uh, you know, loop circling back on that. Um, once again, you know, the trailer, as Dave said, is out. And you can check out WandaVision uh, as it hits your Disney Plus, Disney Plus uh, later this week, I believe on Friday, January 15th. So that's when it happens. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I'm going I'm to still make the comment that two episodes isn't enough. You need to drop the entire season, <laughs> you know, and they need to start doing that with the Mandalorian going forward. Just drop the whole season. Drop so the we whole can season. They do, they do, they do the same. <laughs> they did it with Cobra Kai on Netflix, and that's the, the thing. I, I'm so into uh, the Cobra Kai and, and reliving the 80s nostalgia and all that, but it's really masterful, and I can't wait to, uh, to get into uh, Netflix again. But uh, speaking of films and outstanding films, you know, uh, Pete Doctor recently 
had said something about uh, you know uh, why Soul and Inside director Pete Docter, and of course he he's masterful in both of those films, by the way, um, isn't directing another Pixar movie. And he said that uh, in this recent article that he knows that his career and and leading the studio Pixar um, definitely leaves out the time to direct another film. But he did say that it's been surprisingly rewarding to be producing these type of films. Um, I think Pete's great, but it's interesting how he's kind of moved into the space of running the studio and pretty much being the uh, creative guiding force, if you will. And uh, with Pixar and how he's transitioned from being filmmaker director to now kind of studio studio head um, and how he's finding that very fulfilling. And I, I don't know if it's going to be a loss um, for Pixar. Cause I know there's a lot of creative folks there to kind of take up the slack, but um, uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on him kind of transitioning out of that di- directorial <laughs> mode? Well, I look, I, I think that uh, the position he's in at Pixar uh, doesn't leave a lot of time. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty overwhelming and it's pretty high pressure. And I, I think it would be difficult to do that job and to direct the picture. I think that he's going to be weighing in on all of these pictures, certainly uh, as the creative head. And, uh, you know, up at Pixar, they have the, uh, the brain trust, you know, the, all their directors and, and top creatives uh, are involved with uh, giving notes on every picture. And that's why these pictures, you know, one after another, um, you know, turn out really well and are strong from a story standpoint is that, you know, you got those collective uh, note sessions uh, that the directors uh, of each of those movies uh, gets to listen to and, and you know, uh, look at those kinds of comments. So I think it's great. I, I think that the fact that he did Soul, uh, and he had a co-director, but, uh, you know, he did Soul uh, while he was uh, running the studio is pretty Herculean. And uh, I think that, you know, it's a smart move for him uh, to not... Uh, you know, to move on, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's directed so many pictures uh, that he's on to the next chapter. You know, he's, he's evolving uh, from, from a career standpoint. So I think it's fantastic. And yeah. by the way, um, he was a guest on the uh, Bancroft Brothers uh, podcast. Yeah. I think this past week. Uh, so people might want to check that out. Our friends, Tony and Tom Bancroft. They, they are... Both of them are just amazing guys. I love the Bancroft brothers. They've been guests on my old podcast before, and uh, we really need to have them on because I know that you guys worked on a lot of projects together. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you know, what? I'm going to send Tony a note. I'll, I'll see if we can get Tony on as a guest. Oh, that'd be that'd be amazing. I, I love the Bancroft brothers. I love what they're doing, and I love the fact that they share how to draw and animate on their channels. And uh, I find it so fascinating. But they're you couldn't you couldn't ask for a, a pair of just nicer guys, the two of them. Absolutely. So without uh, question. Well, speaking of nice guys, uh, you know, uh, Joe Rody had announced his uh, retirement back in November, and now he's officially shared this tweet. His last day, he was toasting with his family and his sons there, and they retired his work boots, Dave. They retired his work boots that he worked on 
on every single one of the projects and he wrote on the side of all the different projects all the way from avatar to the various things he's done and they put him in the archive dave so uh Hats off to a very storied career for Joe Rohde. Uh, I know Absolutely. That I, I was a bit surprised that he was retiring. I really am. Uh, I mean, he's had such a an amazing career at Imagineering and has worked on so many incredible things. You know, the Animal Kingdom Park and the Avatar attraction there. And uh, I mean, you know, an incredible talent. And uh, uh, I wish him well in retirement. Absolutely. After four, about 40 years, I think, if I'm yeah, not mistaken, yeah. 40 years, he decides to yeah, hang there's up a, You know, that whole second generation of Imagineers, the, the, this is that group, you know, that's like Tony Baxter and Tom Morris and, you know, all of these folks that, that like the baton was handed off to those folks from the original Imagineers, you know, the, the Claude Coates and the Mark Davis and the Exitensios and Blaine Gibsons and all of those folks that, you know, were like started Imagineering, John Hench, Marty yeah. Scalar, all yeah. these people that started Imagineering with Walt Disney, they handed the baton off to these guys. And now these guys are retiring, which is unbelievable. It's, 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 kind of an end of an era it's it's really sad but once again um you know we'll see how many more decide to hang up their boots or as they as they kind of move on and, and transition and we'll see what the new generation looks like and i thought some of the new generation guys um you know were were lifers but you know guys like jason searle definitely wasn't a lifer he he moved on or was attracted to universal studios and did different things and and um you know, who knows if they'll even come back, but, uh, it, you know, it went from knowing these, these Imagineers and these people behind all the attractions and, and things that we know and love to almost being faceless. Is that, is that a, is that a, is that a bad thing, Dave? I mean, it, that's my sense of it. I, I used to be able to, to say all the names of the classic Imagineers and the second generation of Imagineers. But when it comes to the third wave of Imagineers, the new generation mm. or next generation of Imagineers, they seem to be a little faceless. Is that is that done on purpose? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct in saying that. And I think that, uh, you know, having these strong personalities that were out there and people knew who they were, I, I'm not sure that... The company wants that anymore. Uh, that's just my view of it. Um, I think that um, you know it, it, those days are gone. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and and to me, you know, it, 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 I think when you you know you said, will some of these people come back? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe uh, you know they'll come back as guests for for a panel discussion or something like that. But but from my perspective, having been been at the company for more than 30 years before I left, uh, you move on to your next thing. You know, what's your next chapter of your life? What are you going to do? You know, uh, and I would think somebody like a Joe Rohde is going to go on and do other things that he's been wanting to do for a while. Uh, and uh, more power to him. I think it's great. I, I think, you know, for all of us, there's always what's the next thing? 
you know, and that's yeah. what you have to, yeah, you always have to sit there and go, what is the next thing we're going to do? What, what's the next thing I want to do? And you always have to have something that you're looking forward to. I think that's important in life. You need to be learning new skills. You, mean, you need to be doing new things and you need to be setting goals out, you know, years out. That's interesting you said that because it makes people like myself, it makes me examine what my life goals are, what, what I want to do, what I truly want to do. And uh, it's interesting to, to sit back and take inventory of it because, you know, you never know what what uh, what kind of uh, speed bumps life will throw at you. So, no, absolutely. And, and I have to tell you how John, like I have, I have personal projects that I have mapped out through like 2026 right now. It, it's like a constant rolling thing, you sure. know? And it's like, as you accomplish things, there's new things being tossed out further down the, the calendar. And, uh, and I'm always excited about that. And I think that's, that's what people, you know, that that's, what's exciting about life, you know? you're jumping out of bed every morning going, Oh my gosh, I get to do this and I'm going to go do that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's one reason to get out of bed. You have motivation to, to keep on adding to that hyphen in between the two dates of your tombstone. Right. There you go. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of regrets, um, we do have this gentleman. Uh, he led a legendary Disneyland photographer, Rene Bordeaux passed away at the age of 86 and he had captured some of the most iconic moments during the 40 years of him working for the Disney company, some of the photos are quite legendary. In fact, uh, you'll notice uh, there's a photo of uh, uh, Walt Disney toward the end of his life with, uh, uh, with Mickey Mouse riding the uh, riding that it looks like he's riding the uh, the fire uh, the the fire engine, the fire engine. And with the castle in the background. That's right, and then the inf- then the famous uh, ribbon cutting ceremony as well of the opening day of Disneyland uh, with Walt and his family there cutting the ribbon, um, and then another legendary photo of Walt walking underneath the castle uh, Cinderella's castle. Day- Did I say Cinderella? Uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle gates there. Um, so yeah, just he's walking amazing. into Fantasyland, that, that famous picture with, you know, the park completely empty and it's just Walt uh, framed by the uh, the tunnel through the castle. Yeah, uh, he was immortalized uh, a while back there with a window on Main Street uh, uh, for Kingdom Photo Services under Rene Bordeaux. And uh, he which, will be- which they don't just give those things out. I mean, it's, you know, the, the original Imagineers have windows along main street. It's the few and far between people get uh, a window on main street. Well, he, he has some legendary images, uh, images that I know every Disney fan cherishes and uh, you will be missed. So uh, rest yeah, and, and by the way, you know, that, that picture of Walt at the, at the wheel of the fire engine with Mickey Mouse next to him in the castle in the background, that became sort of a, a standard photo that they did. I think they did that with Roy O. And there's, uh, I posted on Facebook today, uh, a picture of Roy E. Disney uh, on the, uh, uh, at the wheel of the fire engine with Mickey Mouse and the castle in the background, uh, which uh, was taken um, down at Disneyland. And those were like official portrait kind of uh, photos that they were doing. So so he set the tone for those things. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of his photos ended up being in um, uh, memorialized in my, um, what was it, that, uh, that uh, the little viewer 
the oh the, the viewer thing that we're talking oh, about. Oh, the, the uh, Viewmaster. The Viewmaster, yes, the Viewmaster. Um, I remember getting a Viewmaster. I remember talking to you, Dave, when I, I talked to you on our podcast, the Disney List, uh, when yeah. your book 3D Disneyland came out, which is available now, by the way, another shameless plug, um, that, uh, that that was the closest I got to reliving my Disneyland memories as a kid growing up as the Viewmaster. And I know some of his photos must have been in there because it's it's taken with such a very uh, very cool style and uh, um, the lighting and the way he had his camera set up was always very signature to me. You could always tell his photos. Um, very cool stuff. Well, he had a he had a great life. Eighty six years old, you know. I mean, although I'm starting to think like, hey, you know, eighty six that's kind of young. You should have another ten years, you know. <laughs> right. I don't know. Right. I mean, my you know, my mom just turned ninety. I mean, you know, she's going strong. She's still driving, and she's, you know, doing all her stuff on the iPad, and she's keeping up with technology, <laughs> and you know, I love it. I love it. Your your mom yeah. is one in a million. She's great. She's crazy. Well, well, speaking about another tremendous talent, let's talk about Kevin Feige to kind of wrap up the show. Um, You know, Kevin Feige has done a lot of stuff, not only helping craft and build and take what Jon Favreau started with Iron Man and really craft the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it today. And it looks to me like he is making some incredible moves uh he is has been rumored and i guess now confirmed that he will be doing a star wars film now this necessarily wasn't uh talked about in the uh, kathleen kennedy portion of the investors uh, presentation that we covered a few weeks ago but he is going to be doing a disney film kevin feige from marvel studios doing a star wars film and he's enlisted the help of loki and dr strange um writer michael waldron who by the way uh came from the world of rick and morty animated movies but apparently they (laughs) loved him so much uh from rick and morty that they enlisted him for loki and dr strange in the multiverse of madness to do this new film for star wars what do these things have in common time travel perhaps maybe multiverse trying to make sense of all the different stories coming together in a big avengers type of thing but all i can tell you is I think when rumors kind of leaked out that Kevin Feige had been drafted to do Star Wars earlier uh, over the spring, I said, they're going to start making a shared universe. They're going to start doing all these projects and culminate into one big Star Wars, uh, Star Wars big thing, much much like they did uh, with Marvel. And he is the perfect person to kind of get those ideas from Filoni and Favreau and whatever maybe ideas are happening with Kathleen Kennedy and, and her group and kind of make sense of it all and weave them together in a cohesive story. He's the perfect man to do it. What do you think about that, Dave? I I, I don't disagree. Uh, you know, I uh, it's funny. I just saw John Favreau in an episode of The Sopranos. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been rewatching The Sopranos on yeah. HBO Max. Yes. And uh, and John Favreau's in an episode and plays himself. Is that right? He plays himself. Yeah, he play, plays himself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was really, it was really terrific. <laughs> it's funny. It's uh, funny to see Favs because, you know, he is an actor, folks. You know, he was in Daredevil. You know, he no, plays, no, he, he's he a terrific a actor. Yeah, he he's a really a terrific actor and uh, talented writer. Uh, I mean, God, I, 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 you know, it's it's amazing. It's going to be interesting to see uh, over the next couple of years how uh, his role at um, Lucasfilm uh, evolves uh, and and 
you know, where he goes with, you know, the fact that he did Mandalorian. Is he doing enough? Is he going to develop more shows along that, that vein? Uh, it's going to be great. I think he was a specifically going back to the rumors earlier in the spring of him and in getting involved with star Wars. I think when, when Bob Iger stepped in to kind of right set what's going on with star Wars because of the lackluster reception that some of the, the, um, the, the sequel movies had last Jedi on that they yeah. wanted to write course and say, you know what? We're losing fans here. We need to find a way to bring them together. Kevin, let's talk about this. Let's see what's going on with you and what's going on with Dave Filoni and, and Favreau. Mm-hmm. And let's start making things right to kind of mend uh, some of the, the, I guess some of the feelings um, that the fans had in, in, in the division that was caused and with Ryan Johnson. And uh, I think now they're on, on path. And if the Mandalorian isn't kind of the template of where things should be going with star Wars, I don't know what is, because I think that mm. that series is really united fans like no other. Well, it's going to be time will tell. Uh, that's, that's all we can say, but uh, it, it will be uh, interesting uh, to see how this all unfolds. And there's a lot of exciting stuff coming down the line. And, and by the way, I heard, I heard rumors that there may be something with Mark Hamill. It possibly, possibly. I mean, there's so many I hope rumors. So. Now. I hope so. I well, really do. I hope so. I hope so too. I really do. I, I hope so. I hope we're able to see more original characters and it's a shame that, um, you know, Carrie Fisher's no longer with us, but I, I'm I'm hoping that there are brighter days ahead for Star Wars fans. And having said that, Dave, we talked before the show. There's also rumors about trilogy characters, the sequel trilogy characters uh, being replaced by the Mandalorian characters or maybe original trilogy characters at Galaxy's Edge. You know, Galaxy's Edge has been one of those things where, you know, it's really cool. We like the idea of it being in Batu and initially all the characters from the sequel trilogy, because that's, uh, you know, that's what uh, was being, you know, sold on was, was Kylo Ren and, and the resistance and the, you know, everything going on with those characters. But it seems to me is the popularity has waned. Uh, it seems that the rumor mill is being stirred up in a very powerful way to bring the Mandalorian who wouldn't want to see the little baby Yoda and Mandalorian and, and Luke Skywalker and those characters there at galaxy's edge. Um, that they might actually start making some appearances or maybe doing a little bit of a, a walk back. And uh, I guess it was unearthed uh, recently that the original plan for galaxy's edge was to be Tatooine and the millennium Falcon was going to be there at the Starbase, base. We're going to have the cantina, but all those plans were scrapped um, when Kathleen Kennedy proposed to Bob Iger that maybe we should hang all of our, or put all of our eggs in this sequel trilogy because there's a lot more story ahead of us than there is behind us now it seems that they might be walking it back um what are your thoughts on it dave or how are they able uh, or do you see them actually kind of walking it back and maybe looking at how popular popular the mandalorian series is and maybe introducing those characters and retconning some of the storytelling at the park absolutely absolutely without question i mean you know they want to give uh the uh fans what they'd like uh to see and uh certainly uh making tweaks like that uh would boost attendance maybe i don't know um it's it's really you know i would think with the popularity of mandalorian that it's a natural that you would see those characters um, in Star Wars land. Mm-hmm. I believe so. You know, 
I really wished that they would have opened up another theme park personally, another gate, um, because I believe that it, it, it can, it can happen or, it, you know, another big expansion or, or something like that. But in the meantime, I think it would be cool to see the Mandalorian characters. And I think George Lucas said it best when Star Tours reopened. He said, why, why would you put the prequel and the original trilogy together in a big mashup? And he goes, because fun is the most important part. Yeah, absolutely. Experience. And, you know, the bottom line is, Al, John, and, and you and I have talked about this offline. Uh, they could easily build a massive Star Wars. Uh, maybe maybe it's, it's a Star Wars uh, uh, park on its own and a second gate for Marvel World, you know, and, and go build it in Texas where there's plenty of land uh, and build a massive new resort. Um, uh, uh, that uh, capitalizes on both Star Wars and the Marvel Universe uh, because that's what people want, you know? And you could have an entire new uh, resort uh, that would easily, easily be off the charts with those two franchises, don't you think? Oh, 100%. I had loved that idea ever since um, the, you know, Disney acquired Marvel and, 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 and Lucasfilm. I was thinking that would be the perfect next gate is to open up another theme park that had everything that didn't conflict with, you know, universal didn't conflict with anything, but we kind of right in the middle. And uh, I totally love that idea, but I want to know what our, our listeners think. Uh, once again, I, I think people need to uh, let us know through email and, and uh, let's talk about it in a future episode. Now for some real user power. Your weekly immersion into all things Disney. We're working on uh, some new guests uh, for our upcoming episodes. Not going to tip my hand just yet, okay. uh, but I will next week. I will tip my hand next week with, with more folks that we're lining up. And I do want to just end this on a positive note and say, I think... The second half of 2021 is going to be fantastic for everybody. I think once this vaccine gets out to the population, things are going to start to open up and everybody's life is going to improve. And I think the politics and whatnot are going to start to simmer down. That's what I hope, you know, and I, you know, let's, let's all think those happy thoughts going forward. I love that idea, Dave. I, I'm with you 100%. And I look forward to meeting our listeners when we're all nice and healthy. And maybe we can have a meetup there at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland. We can talk books. We can talk pop culture. Dave and I will be there. I'd love to have Dave, uh, you know, do a do a signing somewhere where we can all get together, talk about the show, talk about uh, what you love. We Disney should get a, we should get an old beat up van and do a cross country like <laughs> you know, set up in like Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and go on to Amarillo and the road show. You know, go go to go to some of the the smaller out of the way play. Maybe we do a Route sixty six tour. There you go. You know, we we drive from Los Angeles to Chicago in a beat up van and broadcast from live from the road. That's it. You want to take the old family truckster there. Uh, just like the uh, what, just like family vacation, National Lampoon's family vacation. We'll take the old family truckster 
and uh, we'll go hawking, uh, hawking the podcast and talking about books and there, pop culture. There you go. I could sell books out of the trunk. You could do it. You could, do it. You could sell anything. You could sell uh, ice to a, to an Eskimo, Dave. That, that's how go. good you are. But once again, if you love Disney and pop culture, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening to us for the first time. Thank you so much for uh, having us uh, take an hour of your time and just be geeks about what we love about Disney and pop culture and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And of course you can email us Dave at skullrockpodcast.com or Aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com and Dave uh, final words. Well, Al John, like I said, uh, I just want us all to just simmer down, be safe, stay well. Uh, We are going to get through this uh, pandemic. Uh, Things are going to start to brighten up uh, as spring rolls around. And uh, I'm the perpetual optimist here. You know, I'm I'm always looking uh, towards a brighter tomorrow. So uh, let's all think happy thoughts. That's right. I think the I think the great big beautiful tomorrow is a great uh, great song to kind of end with. So we'll leave you with that. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast. Here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, the Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.